to go. Um, that sounds great. Well, thanks for doing this. I, I really appreciate it. Uh, the way that I got to know you was through your class, obviously, at Fuqua. As an MMS student, I think it was my second term. And uh, your class was huge for me. Uh, really, uh, it was one of those classes where I felt like I couldn't sit still. I felt like I always had to be, you know, I was in front and I was always like uh, really interested to get my point across. It's just that type of, that type of, is that that type of dynamic that you try to deliberately instill or was it just a byproduct of, of the class, do you think? No, I think that, I think you hit it on the nail on the head. It's uh, definitely something that I try to have that interaction and, you know, there, there's some part of it that mm-hmm. we, we don't want students to be too comfortable. Yeah. You know, there's a, there's a, a, a niceness and, a, you know, a freshness of, of being in the classroom that's important. Right. But, uh, you know, being able to be on the edge of your seat, so yeah. to speak, and, and, you know, as you mentioned, you were in the very front row, so mm-hmm. you, you were right there uh, in right. the mix of everything. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I think that having that interaction really makes for a, a more dynamic and uh, better learning experience overall. And uh, particularly in a, a subject like marketing, mm-hmm. it's it's really helpful to have that interaction. And, you know, like like you experienced, the case-based uh, learning really allows for the dynamic and, and to get the experience of being in right. uh, a real-world environment mm-hmm. where, you know, you, you probably saw a lot of yeah. your classmates and you may have experienced yourself that mm-hmm. they're isn't always a right answer. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we, I got feedback quite a, quite often mm-hmm. at the end of a case. It's like, well, what's the right answer? Right. And, uh, you know, we try to set it up so that we can talk through the, the nuances that are there, but you know, there, there oftentimes isn't a, a right answer. So, uh, it's, it's helpful to the students, I think, to get that learning experience mm-hmm. here in the safe environment of the university before going out into the real world where it's a, you know, it can be a little bit more intimidating yeah. and challenging. This is like the last real place to fail. Uh, exactly. And, and it, it seems and like it's a, it's a safe place to fail. Failure is even enabled because right. it often leads to the right, the right answer. Uh, exactly. Although in marketing, there really isn't a right answer. So it's right. kind of, it kind of just depends. I think it's a little hard, harder to foster that dynamic in um, more lecture oriented classes where that are more quantitative, like economics or finance. So it seems like I've, I've noticed that a few professors um, sometimes tend to struggle in keeping that dynamic in place because a lot of it is just regurgitation of material and, and there's less interpretation in those classes. But I think that you did a really good job in your class. And although it is marketing and marketing tends to be more subjective than, uh, than say finance, for example, I think you did a really good job of fostering that dynamic. And I think that led to a lot of um, interesting insight as well as conflict that came along the way. But one thing that I've, I've noticed that's interesting about your background is that I know you were in the, uh, the Army National Guard in Florida, in South Florida, right? And right. it seems like people that were in the military have a sense of uh, their personality tends to be a little bit more, um, I don't want to say dynamic, but definitely more uh, strict and very conformist. But yours tends to be very uplifting and you strike me as a very kind of happy guy. How did your personality evolve and how did you not take that conventional military personality that we often see with, with people that have served? Well, thank thank you so much for the the feedback on the class <laughs> yeah. and yeah. Uh, and and I do try to uh, keep a you know a, a happy and mm-hmm. uh, um, you know upbeat mood. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's it's funny going through um, 
you know, the military, particularly at an early age. I mean, I enlisted uh, when I was 17. What, what uh, was the decision to enlist? How did that unfold? Yeah, you know, it's funny. when I was actually the first person in my family to, to go to college. My mom was the first person in the family to graduate high school. Mm-hmm. And so she really instilled in us uh, the, the need for education and being the, the oldest uh, child. You know, at 17, mm-hmm. I knew that college was important. Right. Not having a, a, a role model or, yeah. or, or, you know, so, somebody to who had been to guide you. Previous, yeah. Yeah. It, it made it very challenging to kind of understand and know, like, what is college about and how mm-hmm. does it work? Right. But I did know one thing for sure, that it was really expensive. Mm. And okay. so uh, I went to the military recruiter uh, at 17 and right. said, hey, you know, don't don't sell me anything. I don't want to yeah. hear your pitch. Yeah. Because uh, you hear all these terrible stories of you know recruiters, uh, you know, harassing people to try really? to get them to join. What what kind of uh, tactics well, I, do they employ? I I, I I ended up not experiencing because I went so right. early. But uh-huh. I I heard some of my friends that uh, you know, particularly in high school, that yeah. they, you know they come after you and they're no, oh, you man. really should join. You should serve your country. And, oh, okay. Uh, yeah. yeah. But uh, you know, I I went directly to the recruiter and and mm-hmm. got this big staff of information right and uh, went home that night read through everything and went to to my mom and said mama I'm gonna enlist in the army yeah and she of course no you shouldn't do that I'm like no Uh they're gonna help me pay for school and and so at 17 I enlisted into the uh, Florida Army National Guard and so between my junior and senior year of high school right I would go away one weekend a month uh, for military drills and then the entire summer between my junior and senior year of high Mm -hmm. school and my senior year of high school and freshman year of college, I was gone for all three months for uh, basic right. and then advanced individual training. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, in in those environments, yeah. particularly as an infantry soldier, I, right. you know, when I when I tell the recruiter that, uh, you know, the next day I go to the recruiter and say, hey, I want to want to sign up. Mm-hmm. And uh, she, she puts down this massive book of all the MOSs, military occupation specialties that are available for right careers in the uh, in the military mm-hmm. she says, well your test scores are fantastic you can do anything you want <laughs> yeah and i'm you know a 17 year old punk kid i don't i don't know right yeah, yeah well yeah. is there a difference and she says well you know there's a two thousand dollar signing bonus mm. if you join the infantry and I'm there like, you go two thousand dollars yeah that, that'll pay for food for a year yeah. as, as a freshman in college yeah and so i'm like well what is, what does the infantry do and she's mm-hmm. like well they they uh, run around the woods with weapons. Hmm. I'm like, yeah, I'm 17. I'm invincible. I, I, <laughs> yeah. can, I can do that. There so, wasn't a sense of fear that that kind of came not, over you? Or? Not at that point. I mean, yeah. you know, and it was a different time, right? This was in the late 90s. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I had gone through, I think I was in middle school when the first Gulf War happened. Right. So there wasn't a lot of, you know, there was random uh, acts of terror and things that would happen every once in a while, but nothing on the scale of what, you know, we have now. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I ended up enlisting and, and it became a great, uh, a great opportunity. It, it gave me, you know, a, a very interesting perspective on leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they, you get so much responsibility at such yeah, a young age. Yeah. And you, I, I think, you know, to go back to your question, it, right. it ended up being such that, you know, you, you have a lot of hurry up and wait and mm-hmm. a lot of really just not fun yeah. Uh, experiences yeah, where you're, sure. you know, sitting out in a foxhole, you know, in the heat of the yeah. summer in Florida. Yeah. And so when you, when you get done, you know, I spent eight years doing that. Mm-hmm. When you finish that up, 
you realize that the day-to-day things that we go through, they're not so bad. Really? Um, and you, you know, you, you end up appreciating the, the more simple things, uh, in life. Um, so, you know, for me, it was always something of the opportunity to, to go to, to, you know, university as the first person in my family. And I've just been very thrilled and, and blessed and honored to have yeah. the opportunities that I've had and try to enjoy and appreciate those. Yeah, it's a good story. I mean, you hear about so many, uh, you know, horror stories and so many ways that it doesn't uh, unfold the way that people plan. And a lot of them, you know, often go into uh, drugs and alcoholism and, you know, all those comorbidities that we that we talk about, right, in our, in our work. Right. And um, to hear that it was actually a positive experience for you is is really interesting. So you you served. Did you serve during 9/11? Were you? I did. Yeah. Mm. So, so what was, was what was that like? So I was a um, uh, a section leader by that point. So mm-hmm. I had a small group of, of 12 folks that I uh, was responsible for. Yeah. And so I was working. Um, you know, I worked full time going through undergrad, and so. I was working a job at that point, a full-time job from seven at night to seven in, in the morning. Oh my God. And so I had just gotten off my you know, shift, uh, went home, would sleep for a couple of hours before my uh, undergrad classes started yeah. at around 10 a.m. Right. And uh, I hear my phone just going crazy. Yeah. And so I eventually look over and I've got you know seven missed, missed calls, calls, four yeah. voicemails. And mm-hmm. so I... I listened to a few of them. I'm, you know, people are like, "Oh, I guess you're gone already. Uh, <laughs> let me know as soon as you can 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 call." Yeah. Uh, so I'm I'm thinking, what in the world yeah. is going on? So I turn on the TV and, um, you know, saw the second tower get mm-hmm. hit, and so you know, I immediately called on my guy. Say, look, you know, we don't have orders yet, but be prepared. You know, we're gonna there's, something's gonna happen. Like right. there's got to be some sort of that this uh, I was actually working on my private pilot's license single mm. engine private pilot license at this at that time so you know I knew that you don't accidentally you know yeah run a, into a building run yeah. into a building yeah. with particularly with when the skies were so clear it was such a you know beautiful uh, blue day right um, so that you know we ended up getting put on we didn't get activated right away mm-hmm. uh, actually it wasn't until um, December 26 of 2012 that we actually got uh, activated. So they uh, they waited until the day after Christmas. Uh, 2002, to, you mean? Yeah, sorry. 2002, yeah, yeah. Correct. Okay. 2002. Yeah, not yeah. 10 years after. Yeah, the, not not 10 years. Event, yeah. Only only uh, two years. Few, yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it was uh, it was it was quite fascinating. Um, you know the process. So when we got activated, we didn't know where we, we assumed that we were going to, uh, to Germany. Mm-hmm. Um, I ended up not going, I had a hernia, uh, that I, you know, ended up having right mm-hmm. before we, uh, we left. And so I stayed back, but you know, my guys went on, um, and, uh, were in Iraq. Actually, they were part of the first group that went over with the uh, special forces right. and took out some of the, uh, original, um, air bases mm. that were on the border uh you know the um uh there was you know concerns over whether the uh, they there would be an attack on israel right uh, and so uh, in retaliation you know the the holy war and all those things mm-hmm. so the special forces and and my unit went in in the very early days to help uh, uh neutralize some of those uh air bases that such that they couldn't you know, retaliate, uh, against Israel and, and hopefully to keep 
you know, unfortunately to keep Israel out of, uh, out of the conflict. So the life that you were heading towards was very, uh, I mean, to, in that lifestyle, it's a very combat oriented lifestyle where you try to reach, uh, you know, you became the staff sergeant ultimately. What, what's the, what's the pinnacle in that, in that lifestyle? Like how, how far can, can you go really? Well, and it's a different, uh, you know, there's a different paths of whether you're enlisted right, uh, and, and you go, go go up the sergeant path or if you go more of the officer in a commissioned uh, path. And so, you know, of course, the commission path, you can go all the way up to, you know, different five-star general. And did that, uh, is that something that appealed to you? Is that something that you wanted to do? No, it's interesting. I was actually on the other path. I, I had officers that would come to me and, and uh, say, hey, you know, Sergeant Knight, you know, you really, you've already got a degree. You, right. you, you've got two degrees. You should really go over. Because yeah. in order to be an officer, you have to have, you know, have a college education. Mm. And I really enjoyed the enlisted path and being sort of, um, alongside, serving alongside the soldiers. Right. So I was, you know, even as I got, you know, at 20, I was a sergeant and, you know, continued mm. to move up the ranks and had increasing responsibility. But you, as an officer, I always felt that they were distant from being, you know, side by side mm. of the, uh, you know, the, particularly in the infantry, you know, being in the foxhole or right. uh, in the Humvees. And mm. um, so really enjoyed that aspect. I, mean, I, I knew that I probably wasn't a... Um, you know, a lifer, so to yeah. speak. Yeah. But I did, you know, my original contract was only six years. So I, I re-enlisted twice. Wow. Uh, once, you know, because I was looking at potentially joining to, you know, I wanted to go to, originally wanted to go to medical school. I was looking at uh, Me too. transferring. Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then uh, I, uh, the second enlistment for another year was actually during the conflict so mm. they had a stop loss so i couldn't um you know right uh, leave uh, uh so ended up staying for for a total of eight years eight years and then uh at what point did you decide that uh did you decide that palo alto was more of your uh your speed going <laughs> well, to Stanford? that was a you know an amazing life-changing experience and and it's one where you know being you know coming from humble humble beginnings right. and going to the local university you did my biomedical engineering, i did biomedical engineering right. i did i did a master's in biomedical engineering and yeah. it was during that time that i created my first patent mm. and had the opportunity to i knew that i needed clinical input it's always critical yeah. to have you know the clinical side and so right. found a retired uh, cardiothoracic surgeon mm -hmm. who was uh, then a professor teaching at the business school okay and so i connected with him and he gave me you know a lot of really great feedback on the uh, the, the, the clinical aspects and the technology and everything and I still remember you know being uh, first time I met with him he he asked me so you know what do you want to do with your life yeah. and you know I'm a 23 year old ambitious kid and I said yeah. well I want to combine but big plans big plans mm -hmm. I, I want to combine engineering and business and sure. medicine yeah. and solve the most pressing needs in healthcare. yeah and he had this presentation that he had recently seen printed out on his on his desk and he slid it over to me and said Oh, you want to do this? And I flipped through it and I said, yes, that's exactly what mm. I want to do. Right. But I, I was so, um, I, I was so thankful to be there at the local university. It wasn't even in my con, you know, yeah. in my dreams. That you were I the first be, to go to college. I exactly. Mean, in your family. Exactly. Yeah, so for the next three months, every time I would, um, see this, uh, physician, Dr. Marshall, yeah. he would ask me, so how's your application going? And yeah. I, you know, I made up every excuse in the book. Oh, I, 
uh, I'm working on it. Oh, yeah. I know I haven't gotten to that part yet. And yeah, yeah. So after three months, he caught on and and uh, he ended up sending an email directly to the person that he saw present. You know, we have the perfect person for your program. How would he go about applying? Mm. And so then I'm thinking, well, I'm going to have to waste these people's time. And uh, yeah. but the long and short of it is that I you know, was able to get an interview and, and landed one of the four slots uh on the cardiovascular team. Mm. And so it was a life changing experience. Uh, and it, you know, it, I, I take away from that and, and would encourage others to take away of, you know, even if it's not in our wildest dreams that there is the possibility for these things that seem right. like they're just, you know, way beyond our reach. Yeah. Um, so that, that type of, uh, encouragement, um, you know, was incredibly helpful. Um, to me and became a, a life-changing experience. So for, from there, I then went on to do a, a PhD in Switzerland. Right. Because at that point, it was like, I can do anything. Like, yeah. I'll, I'll try, you know, go anywhere, try anything. Right. Um, but uh, it's it's important to make sure that we, you know, believe in ourselves and maybe even more importantly, to have mentors that can help us assess and and understand what might be possible for us even when we can't see it when it's not even in our wildest reality right uh, it seems like you were very geared towards academics i mean here you are you know first to go to college and you get a you know you get your ba and then you or your bs and then you get your masters and then you're getting your phd i mean wh what what is what interests you so much about about academics and universities and grad schools and well stuff? it's funny the joke in my family is that you know i was the first to go but now i've made up for everyone else right right, right yeah yeah <laughs> everyone else is good but i think yeah. uh you know i think part of it was my mom instilling in us the importance of you know even though we started from humble beginnings sure. the importance of education and the opportunities that it can provide mm -hmm. and so I, I probably stayed in academia longer than what I you know probably would have had I you know things been a little bit different yeah because it was in the PhD that I realized wow this is you know fascinating and I love the research but I definitely don't want to do this for the rest of my life mm -hmm. um, and that's when I made the decision to come back to the U.S. and and uh, go to business school and get more on the business side of things. So when you were uh, when you were at Stanford, you know, doing the biodesign fellowship, is that where you came up with uh, with Medici? So Medici was founded. We, we started that here at Duke. Mm. So that I, I actually brought that. Um, that was after. So what, I guess the timeline would be went to Stanford. Right. The, the IP, you are correct, the patents that for that, uh, that would become Medici ended up, uh, we, we created them there at Stanford. Mm -hmm. Then I went away for three years, did the PhD in biomedical engineering in Zurich. And then when right. I came to, to Duke, I brought that technology. I was looking, you know, I wanted to join the uh, program for entrepreneurs at Fuqua. Mm -hmm. And so remember this technology that we had created that was still sort of you know, sitting on the sidelines. Right. And so we uh, uh, met a guy here, also a fellow classmate, Jeff Kovic. And so he and I and, and a couple of other um, students at, yeah. uh, at the business school and biomedical engineering and the law school came together and started uh, Medici and another company, IEI Innovation Education International, which right. is a nonprofit for teaching in Kenya, uh, innovation right? in developing countries. Yeah, Kenya, South uh, Africa, South Africa. Right. We actually, as part of the Duke program mm -hmm. uh, for GCP and Fuqua, we we went. A group of us went to South Africa mm -hmm. and were able to teach the innovation curriculum there in South Africa and a couple, both an urban and a rural uh, high school. So a right. fascinating uh, experience. So going back to uh, going back to Medici. 
I mean, this is a basically a solution that you engineer for SUI, uh, like stress urinary incontinence, which is such a big, big deal that affects so many people. But it, the the caveat of it is that it's such an embarrassing problem that no one really wants to Absolutely. to come to grips with. So wh- why why that specific uh, illness? Like why that uh, why that one? I think, you know, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's, there's a huge need here, and some of the statistics are just staggering. Mm-hmm. You know, the fact that actually while we were working on uh, developing the technology and bringing forward the company, the amount of dollars spent in the U.S. on uh, adult diapers mm-hmm. surpassed that of that we of spend infant. on infant diapers. Wow. So we actually spend over $2 billion a year in the U.S. on adult diapers. Which is actually we actually spend more on adult diapers in the U.S. than we do on infant diapers. That's mind blowing. So it's cr- and and uh, diapers are basically we've given up. You know, yeah, yeah. We always talked about the two key parameters for stress urinary incontinence mm-hmm. and for incontinence in general is convenience and control. You want something that gives you control to allow right. you to, to to go to the bathroom when you when you want to go, mm-hmm. and the convenience to do that in a way that's not disruptive right. to your lifestyle and diapers even though we spend two billion dollars a year we've basically given up on convenience and control we just yeah. let it happen right um and as terrible as that is we still spend a fortune uh on on adult diapers so you know i think part of it it was the you know it's such a big need and i had the opportunity to work on you know this need as well as you know my major focus was on electrophysiology mm-hmm. and uh problems with the electrical system of the heart while at the biodesign program at stanford right so, you know, and, and biodesign is such that you're looking for where are the biggest needs, you know, where's the biggest pain points for particular patients, stakeholders, right. you know, physicians. Look at the prevalence of those, exactly. those illnesses and the comorbidities and exactly. how to tackle them. Yeah. And there's so many, you know, we've come a long way even over the past couple of decades, mm-hmm. but there's, you know, there's always more work to be done and more improvements that we can uh, continue to make. Right. Uh, so, you know, th- there's these type of um, needs, stress urinary incontinence, where, you know, people feel like prisoners in their own home and yeah. they, they don't go out uh, because of fear of an accident. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a there's a tremendous uh, amount of opportunity to help. Uh, those patients and you know a, a large number of other patients as well. Yeah, I mean, I uh, I actually saw your pitch, the pitch that you made at Duke. I think it was the Duke Innovation, the startup challenge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was really interesting. You kind of tackled, uh, you know, it was I think it was only two minutes, but yeah. you covered all the main points and you still uh, mentioned, uh, uh, you know, you still uh, talked about how like embarrassing an issue is and right. how important it is, how, the importance of really getting it getting a result. So what what happened with with Medici? How did how did that? unfold you know it was interesting when i came into business school i I was the startup guy like i didn't Mm -hmm. you know they were in in business school it's a lot of particularly with the mba it's a lot of hey you know you should uh come to our recruiting event and you know had different calls from you know banking and consulting Mm -hmm. and i was you know fresh out of uh, finishing up my PhD, I didn't know what investment banking was. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, I learned a little bit more about these different things, but um, really intended to, to go on forward as a uh, working in startups after business school, mm-hmm. but had the opportunity to get connected with um, Medtronic and the right. LDRP, the Leadership Development yeah. Rotation Program. And so as I learned more about it, you know, given that I had so much of a significant part of my career being in academia, mm-hmm. 
it really offered the potential to to get you know a lot of different um, functions to rotate around the different exactly, units right. over a relatively short period of time and that uh, was incredibly appealing because I, yeah. I kn- know that I needed that industry experience. And so I did a summer internship and, and you know, really loved it and, and learned a tremendous amount. And it, for me, I knew, you know, I, I had always known about Medtronic and um, just really, you know, even their story uh, with Earl Bach and, you know, as a young man founding the company, hmm. you know, many, many decades ago. And that original mission statement is still the same mission statement right. that they use with, you know, almost 90,000 employees. Now. Yeah. So I love the story and, and, and fell in love with the company. And so ended up going there full time. Right. Uh, but Jeff Kovic, my uh, co-founder, mm-hmm. he actually took on uh, the, the company for um, several months after the um, uh, business school finished up. Right. And, uh, you know, was able to raise a, a small amount of money. So I, I stayed involved and was helping him as he went through and was able to raise some money, but you know, we had everything teed up to do some of the clinical work. And, uh, but in the end, uh, ended up giving back the money and saying, Hey, mm. we, get, we just don't have enough to hit the next major milestones, finishing okay. the clinical work, yeah. uh, to be able to raise the larger round of funding. And so he went on then to go to uh, BCG, uh, consulting. Right. Um, but it was a fantastic experience. And I, you know, I still think the technology is, is promising. Um, but it's a, you know, it's one of those difficult things that there's so many things that have to line up. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's part of, you know, the difficulty of, uh, of being an entrepreneur. It's right. like, like the chance know, the chance part of it or yeah, the chance, the risk. And, and there's a lot of things that are even outside of your control. You know, mm-hmm. they're, they're the, you know, at that point, um, you know, 2009, 2010 and, and even 2011, the market was still, right. you know, people were holding on tightly to their cash. And, sure. uh, there were certainly investments going on, but um, it was more difficult to raise raise money as well as, you know, there were different factors from a regulatory perspective, from a reimbursement perspective. Right. All of these things that come together and make it more challenging. And, and to be, you know, frank, we, we were both, Jeff and I were both relatively early in our mm-hmm. careers. And so the, the skill sets that we've been able to, to build since leaving business school and getting that practical real world experience uh, are, were incredibly helpful and make us you know, better at being able to do entrepreneurship uh, and, and to hopefully be successful. You brought up an interesting, in, interesting point in that discussion, which is healthcare firms tend to have exceptionally strong cultures. You see, you see it in Medtronic. Medtronic has a really strong culture. J&J has a really strong culture, particularly in Janssen, the pharmaceutical division. You know, my company, Davida, has a really strong culture. It seems like that culture is, is almost more, um, you know, prepotent than what you find in, uh, in banks or in consulting firms. I don't know why that is. Why, why do you? Why do you it's, a, it's a great point. I mean, I yeah. think uh, part of it is uh, when you can see the impact mm-hmm. that uh, something that you're working on has on you know, millions potentially of, of patients, yeah. it's an incredible, uh, you know, an incredible experience to have where, you know, certainly if you're doing finance or some of these other roles, you can, you know, you, you may impact someone's life, but, but it's not in clinically, a, not clinically, not, yeah. you know, keeping them alive, so to speak. Uh, and, you know, Medtronic from, you know, my experience with Medtronic, it, they do an amazing job you know, you, the Christmas party at Medtronic, mm. they bring uh, several patients to the headquarters and 
thousands of employees come and yeah. the uh, patients, you know, tell their story of how this is what happened to me and this right. is where I was before the Medtronic device and mm -hmm. here's what my life is like now. Right. And, you know, usually there's not a, you know, I in the in the room that's not uh, teared like weeping, up yeah. because it's it's just so touching and it, it's motivating to to be able to, you know, even if you're, you know, in some remote area being a manufacturing or whatever, you still play a, a critical role in ensuring that those uh, technologies get made and developed and have an impact on on patients and physicians. When did you come to Fuqua exactly? Did you come right after your after your PhD? Or? Right after the PhD, yeah. And it was an interesting transition of you know I it was funny in some ways of I was arguing over the eight decimal point of accuracy <laughs> in my computer you know, yeah, CFD. Yeah. Uh, computational fluid right. dynamic simulations. And then you came here. And, and then I came here yeah. and, you know, then it's like we're Round valuing the a company. Special, yeah. And it says, well, you know, if it's off a couple hundred million dollars, right. it's, okay. it's okay. It's close enough. Yeah. Uh, so that was a, uh, you know, challenging at first. The left go, brain, mm -hmm. right brain kind of mm -hmm. trade-off, yeah. And the accuracy that's, uh, you know, again, it goes back to in engineering, there is an exact precise answer mm -hmm. for almost, you know, for most things. Right. But, a lot of times in, in business and just working with people in general, mm -hmm. it's not as well defined and there's not a specific right answer. Uh, there's a spectrum of answers that depend on a lot of different uh, inputs and, you know, what the particular environment and the yeah. situation are. Why Fuqua specifically? I had always, you know, growing up in Florida and in and, and the South, I had always loved uh, Duke. I had a, a chance as a, uh, when I was working on my master's in Florida mm -hmm. to come to Duke for a, a Biomedical Engineering Society um, meeting and, and even do a poster presentation. And so I had always loved Duke, yeah. um, you know, particularly as a biomed and med tech person mm -hmm. with, uh, you know, the, the engineering school, the medical school, the, the business Pratt, school, yeah. law school, everything. I mean, yeah. there's just... There's so much uh, opportunity and uh, both at Duke and I think in the broader triangle as well. Uh, so to be a part of that was was very exciting and um, you know definitely one of the big reasons that helped draw me in to, right. to coming here. And go basketball team as well. Absolutely, that's, that's always also, fun. That's not, yeah, that never hurts, <laughs> right? Except what happened just recently. Right. Other than that, it's always <laughs> usually good. So how did you how did you end up uh, teaching Kenyans? What was that? Uh, thought process and logic. So a, uh, a good friend of mine from undergrad, uh, Brian Polson, he ended up um, going over to Kenya uh, as part of the Peace Corps. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, they had, uh, unfortunately, a lot of violence and things after the election. Right. And so they pulled all the Peace Corps members uh, out of Kenya. But he actually stuck around and, and, and did a couple of different entrepreneurial mm. uh, ventures. And so when I was in Switzerland, uh, was able to connect with Brian and went down to visit with him. Hmm. And so we planned a trip and everything. And he's like, hey, there's a local university. Uh, he was in a place uh, called Kakamega, which is uh, about an hour drive away from Kisumu, hmm. which is where uh, President Obama's uh, father is from. Okay. So we, um, you know, we, we started planning these things of, oh, yeah, I'll go and give a talk uh, since I'm in town because I, I ended up spending uh, two weeks there. Yeah. And, um, it ended up turning into, you know, while I was there, I gave three lectures and then we we did a boot camp mm -hmm. over a week where we were able to get some of the top students, create some very diverse teams. And then we taught uh, innovation in a more general instead of it being so focused on healthcare, it was in a more general form. Okay. Uh, and then over the next two semesters, mm -hmm. 
would teach through um, using Skype and chat and everything. Right. And it was, you know, uh, very encouraging to see the desire for learning uh, from the students. I mean, sometimes they would go to the one internet cafe in the village mm-hmm. and kind of huddle around yeah. uh, computer to connect with me in Switzerland as I would help them kind of navigate through particular assignments and things. Right. So it was a, uh, you know, a, a very uh, enriching experience and, and fascinating. Uh, so that was my first um, experience, yeah. exposure into teaching in yeah. developing countries. And then like we talked about previously, then had the opportunity to, to do so uh, during business school in South Africa as well. Are you married? Yes. So when, actually, I yeah. met my wife here uh, at, at Duke. Mm. Um, we were both uh, pitching as part of the program for <laughs> entrepreneurs. Yeah. Uh, so I was coming back from Switzerland and right. she was coming back uh, from uh, doing nonprofit work in, uh, in the Middle East. Mm. And so, uh, you know, we, we met a couple of weeks before business school and, uh, you know, started dating uh, shortly after. And we got engaged. Um, at the end of the first year mm. and then married, uh, you know, right after business school. Nice. So it was, uh, business school was a great event, you know, right from the beginning. Most people look forward to having internships at the end of first year, but you came away with more than that with uh, marriage, <laughs> which exactly. is kind of interesting. Yeah. So, uh, so then Innovask, Innovask happened. Um, I know that they, uh, they basically tap you to become, uh, like the CEO and the person that was in in charge of hem- helming, you know, this organization. And um, what what was how did that really unfold? Like, how did you decide to become involved with this company for uh, you know as opposed to another one? And um, when you got here, was there a transition from what you were doing previously to, to here? Or was it kind of a more smooth smooth transition? So it was uh, a very interesting transition. So mm. I had been at Medtronic for about five years and really enjoyed the different uh, roles and just had a, an incredible learning experience. Right. But um, was really, you know, the entrepreneurial spirit in me really wanted to, yeah. to get back out. And, and so I ended up, um, you know, talking with my boss and saying, hey, you know, I, I'm going to move on uh, from Medtronic in the summer. Uh, this was in 2015. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up leaving uh, Medtronic, I didn't really have anything, uh, lined up, lined afterwards. up you know, afterward. And so we kind of took the leap. We moved down here. My wife ended up leaving her job with, uh, McKinsey as well. Mm. Again, we were both, you know, entrepreneur, we right. met an entrepreneur event. So we said, Hey, we'll, we'll, we'll make the leap and we'll figure it out. And I think one of the things that enabled us to do that was that we, you know, coming out of business school, we had the, uh, student loans for two people mm. coming coming uh, you know out of the MBA, and so we we really focused in the first couple of years of paying that down right. so that we could make you know we weren't sort of shackled to to the payments and could mm. make a leap. Um, so we moved down here, uh, and I had started having conversations with Innovask and with several other uh, companies. So even though I didn't have anything nailed down, felt pretty good that something would 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 come about. Right. And eventually, you know, we were able to get things nailed down in December of 2015. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I really love uh, the, the background of Innovask and uh, the team, uh, Dr. Lawson, Sean Gage, uh, you know, the, their Dr. Manson. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, they, they have done a great job incubating the, uh, the technology within 
within Duke over, you know, two or three years. Right. And we're able to really tell the story in a way that's very compelling. And, you know, it's one of those things where it's an incredibly large need mm-hmm. where we spend a, you know, a tremendous amount of money each year on complications for uh, vascular access yeah. for patients that have end-stage renal failure and, right. and require dialysis. Sure. Um, and the, the technology is just so simple. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a very elegant solution. And, uh, you know, that, that becomes... The, and then they went through kind of step-by-step step and kind of checked off, you know, okay, IP, regulatory, mm-hmm. reimbursement, a lot of the key critical components that are important when you're bringing forward a, a medical device. Right. And so they had everything sort of teed up and uh you know it was really perfect for what i was looking for to kind of take the next step i had been involved in the very early stage of multiple different technologies Mm -hmm. in in company development and so it was great to be in something that was a little bit further along and um you know we were able to raise some money to uh you know now be in a spot where we can go through and finish up the device development uh, do some more animal studies and uh, be prepared for our uh, clinical work, uh, hopefully sometime next year. Yeah, that's interesting. So you're involved with hemodialysis directly and, and uh, vascular grafts as well. Exactly. Which is interesting because, um, you know, I mean, I, like I said, I'm, I'm working at DaVita. And uh, one of the questions that I asked them recently was, um, if there was, you know, overnight a cure for dialysis, what would you do as a company? And uh, it's a tough question to answer because on the one hand, you want to serve as many patients as possible, but on the other, you need to, you know, you're, uh, you owe your shareholders, right, dividends. So it's, right. it's, a tough, it's a tough problem to, to solve. And I think, um, you know, with the bulletproof uh, graphs that you've uh, basically launched, it seems like it's a very uh, plausible solution to a very difficult, difficult problem to solve. I think that's great. What did your wife do at McKinsey? So uh, she was involved in a lot of different, um, you know, the way that they, they kind of work things is that you're a generalist initially. Right. And so you, you know, you get uh, a project that can be anywhere in, in the country. Yeah. Early Monday morning, you fly out to wherever that uh, client is. Right. You work there all day and uh, probably all night too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And then on Thursday or Friday, you fly back to your home office and then you usually spend Friday during the day at the home office wrapping up any final things right. uh, before you know the next week yeah. starting over do it and all do, over do, again, do it yeah. all over again. So she ended up after a year or two of that started focusing in. They they want you to pick an industry, right? And so she started focusing in on uh, insurance mm. and uh, you know worked with a lot of the big uh, big corporations. Mm-hmm. And it's fascinating to be you know to to as a newly minted MBA to have the opportunity to go, you know, give advice to right. the, the C-suite of these large companies. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, it's an amazing, uh, you know, amazing opportunity that, yeah. uh, and you, and you, again, it's also one of those things where you can learn so much over a short period of sure. time, uh, cause their projects may be, you know, you might work with a client for a couple of weeks or mm-hmm. for several months. How did you decide, uh, come across the decision to teach here at Fuqua? I've always, uh, you know, I think part of it was just, you know, my childhood and growing up of, you know, how important education was. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I, you know, not only enjoy learning, but enjoy sharing that knowledge and, and teaching as well. And right. so uh, when uh, the opportunity came, I, you know, I heard about that they were looking for, for someone to, to teach the MMS yeah. uh, core marketing course, uh, was able to, you know, have some conversations with the administration at Fuqua mm-hmm. and um, you know, and I had some people say, 
why are you teaching marketing? Hmm. Um, and you know, I said, well, you know, I did a lot of marketing in, in uh, Medtronic. Like and why not biomedical engineering? Or, exactly. Yeah. Biomedical engineering or entrepreneurship. Or, right, right, right. And it's something where, you know, I, a lot of the roles that I had at Medtronic were in the marketing space. Mm-hmm. But I think even more than that, a lot of, for me, a lot of early stage uh, entrepreneurship is marketing. Yeah. It's determining, you know, what who's the your customer. need is and the demand Absolutely. and how to fill it. Yeah. Absolutely. So I think it, it was fascinating for me going back and, you know, one of the best ways to learn something is to teach it. Teach, so yeah. going through and, and really getting into, and, and you remember all the, the material that we yeah, had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Uh, it, was, uh, it was fascinating to go back and have the lens of Innovask and, you know, other things to think about, you know, how can I leverage these tools? You know, I, uh, most of them I had gone through when I was at uh, business school, but right. now taking a look back many years later and seeing like, how can I apply this today to the work that I'm doing at, uh, at Innovask? And how can we uh, increase Beyonce's record sales? Exactly. Another question. Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, uh, <laughs> did you ever decide which cases to drop and to keep? No, I, I'm, I'm probably going to keep everything the same this next time around, right. but I want to start, you know, I want to make sure that I track, uh, what the feel is um, for different cases that right. people loved and, and people didn't like and mm-hmm. kind of keep track of that each uh, each year as I, you know, as new cases become available and I think through like what's what would take the class to the next level, what would allow me to continue to improve in, in the overall learning experience. What's what's next for you? I mean, it seems like you've done pretty much everything that you set out to do. Uh, you know, first to go and uh, to co- go to college and your family. I mean, it seems like you've come a long way. Is there anything that you haven't done that you're interested in doing, or something new that that's completely kind of different for you? I, I'm very you know happy and blessed with with where I am, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I I'm hard work has always been a large part of yeah. uh, who I am, and uh, you know, my goal is to continue to. Uh, you know, develop uh, technologies and bring companies forward here in the triangle. And, you know, we're, we're, my wife and I are setting roots up here and Mm -hmm. really hope to have some successful exits, you know, Innovask and and future uh, companies. I think, you know, we talked about the, the triangle is just such a uh, a great place. There, all of the materials, all of the right pieces are here and Mm. we've had some great success, but I think there's, you know, it's only the beginning. There's so much more. And so, I hope to be a part of that, uh, you know, uh, development. You know, historically, the triangle has been more focused on the biotech and pharma side, mm-hmm. but I think there's a tremendous amount of opportunity for medical technologies, and you know, I hope to help further that, and you know, both bring things up my, myself, but to help facilitate uh, other fo- you know groups that are coming forward and. Uh, to help them be successful as well. Right. And the demand will always be there as long as people keep getting sick and right. uh, they need new ways to, like you said, like involve convenience in their lives to difficult solution to different difficult problems right. and uh, ultimately solve them so they can just get through their day as, uh, as easily as possible because life is hard enough. You right. don't want to have a physiological issue that hampers your uh, you know living. Absolutely. And as we get older, I mean, the, the, the body starts to you know, yeah, systems fail. Yeah. You know, it's this, you know, same thing with an old house. Eventually the electrical mm-hmm. system goes bad. The water heater goes bad. Our bodies, you know, in some ways have, have similar things that as we get older, things just start to fail. Right. And so there, you know, there's always the promise of tissue engineering and, you know, organ mm-hmm. regeneration and stem things of that sort. And, stem yeah. cells, which are fascinating. Yeah. And I think that those things will continue to improve. And, but, 
I think there will always be a place for medical devices and you know technologies that are more physically based, um, and hopefully the promise of you know tissue engineering and stem cells continues to develop, and hopefully you know in the coming decades we'll be able to realize the the promise of of those technologies. Right. Well, uh, look, you're a great guy, a great professor. I really enjoyed learning from you, and uh, I hope to stay in touch. And thank you so much for, for doing this. I think it's, it's really great that you were able to, to do it, and uh, I really appreciate it. Absolutely. No, thanks so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Take care.